uh, we're continuing in Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and I've, I've loved being able to preach through this Sermon on the Mount. It has a lot of those passages, those teachings from Jesus uh, that we've heard, that we're familiar with. Uh, maybe we don't always remember exactly where they come from, but it's like when we hear it, it's like, oh yeah, I, I know that. I've heard that before. And so it's exciting to be able to, to walk through these, to be able to remember them, to reflect on them, to hear how Jesus is giving us instructions for, for life, a life that's filled with his peace, his hope, and his joy. And this morning's passage uh, is, is just like that. And I'll, I'll never forget um, when I was... Serving in my first appointment, uh, I was at a church in Vance County, North Carolina, uh, kind of a small country church. And there was a member of this church, uh, Miss Naomi Clayton. She was 93. She was homebound. She lived with her daughter out on their family farm. And so I would go and I would visit with her uh, on, on a regular basis. We'd go and we'd check in, we'd spend some time together. And I remember, you know, driving the, the curvy, winding Egypt mountain road as I could get to her house and pull up. And there was one time when I was there and visiting with her and with her daughter. And her daughter was saying uh, some things about some challenges that were coming their way. She was a little bit concerned about some things that were coming up uh, in her life and her kid's life and her grandkid's life. And Miss Naomi just looked at her daughter uh, and just quoted, just out, out of her heart, out of her mouth came this passage. She told her daughter, she said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, one of the things that I found so uh, fascinating, so uh, beautiful about that experience with Miss Naomi and her kind of being able to quote this word by word was not only that she had this whole passage memorized, but that this passage had, had really sunk down into her heart and it informed the way that she lived her life. It wasn't just that it was up here, right? It was that she had this, this word, this teaching from Jesus uh, in her heart. There was another time that I had been uh, visiting with Miss Naomi and her daughter, and they were kind of reminiscing and talking back to what life was like on the family farm when the kids were little and when they were growing up. Uh, 
the family farm was, was really their, their source of income, their source of life. It provided all the things that they needed, all the food that they needed, uh, and whatever they sold uh, that enabled them to be able to eat. And so it was just the, the family that was there, and they had one uh, employee that worked for them who kind of lived down the road a little bit with his family. And they were sharing about the farm, and there was always all kinds of fun memories that they would share uh, about, you know, how they would take the hogs out and cure them and do all these other things. But one time they were sharing uh, about the farm, and they said there was a year that came along when uh, the the weather just didn't cooperate, when things just didn't quite work just right, uh, and the farm didn't produce uh, everything that they thought that it was going to be able to. And by the time that they had taken whatever goods they had grown and taken them to market and sold whatever they had that they could sell, uh, they saw that there wasn't going to be that much that was there for them. And and they had a choice, really. They could either uh, take the, the proceeds that they had from selling things and they could have barely enough for their family family to eat uh, for the rest of the year, or they could pay the employee who worked for them and his family could eat for the rest of the year. They kind of were stuck in this choice. You know, it's their farm, it's their stuff. Either they could eat or the person who worked for them could eat. And so they were a little bit anxious about what to do. They were a little bit worried. And so they began to pray about it. And they felt like God was saying, you know what? You need to take care of this person who has worked for you. You take care of him. Uh, you take care of his family and I'll take care of you. And so that's what they did. Uh, they, whatever they had from what they had sold that year, they, they gave it to him as his wages. So he and his family could eat. And the amazing thing is God provided for them. Now, I wish I could remember exactly how they said that it took place or how that it happened, but, but really she just said that, you know, they didn't lack. They didn't go without the things that they needed for life that year. That whenever they trusted God, when they did the right thing, when they followed his purposes, God provided for them. God took care of them. I think that decision, right, to give everything to this employee and to keep none for themselves— that's the embodiment of what Jesus is teaching us here. And that's what it truly looks like to seek first God's kingdom and then to trust that God will take care of you, that God knows what you need. They had some initial worry, but then they turned it over to God. They made the decision to trust God and God provided. Now I realize whenever we're looking at this teaching from Jesus, as he's telling us, do not worry, uh, that it can... Uh, become easier. Sometimes we might face this temptation to just make it seem as though to not worry is that easy. Well, Jesus said not to worry, so I'm not going to worry. And if you can live that way, that's, that's wonderful. I find that worry and anxiety still find their way of creeping into my life. I think life a lot of times can be more complicated than just being able to say, not worry. Um, our culture uh, has a way of creating more and more anxiety within us. The 24-hour news cycle, social media, it all just kind of compounds whatever anxieties and worries already exist in the world. And we face it even more. They, they find a way of growing within us. So fortunately, Jesus doesn't just leave us with a simple, do not worry. But instead, he offers some things in this passage that I believe we can take with us, some things that we can do when worry comes our way. The first thing that I think that we can learn in this passage that Jesus teaches us is to understand that worry won't change anything. Our worry is not going to change whatever it is that we're worried about. In fact, worry seems to have a way of making our problems even more challenging. Uh, the folk and jazz singer uh, Bobby McFerrin said it well in his song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. 
He says, in every life we have some trouble, but when you worry, you make it double. Jesus says it this way in verse 27. He asks the question, says, which of you by worrying can add a single hour to your span of life? Worry adds nothing. In fact, worry that's left unchecked tends to downward spiral to the point where we become caught up in a paralysis of analysis. We think about the situation, we think about the situation, we think a little bit more about it, we think a little bit more about it, uh, we think about it more until we allow the anxiety or the worry to completely grip us. It kind of takes over and it begins to affect our day-to-day lives. It begins to affect our relationships with others because we have this, this worry, this anxiety, this stress around us. Worry has a way of actually preventing us from doing something about the situation that's causing us to worry. I know a lot of times whenever I'm kind of faced with a little bit of anxiety or worry, uh, a lot of times some of the questions that come up for me is, well, well, what if I try to do this and it doesn't work, right? What if I try this and it fails? Uh, what if I, I do this in this situation and it comes up shorter? It's the wrong decision or, you know, and, and I become caught up in wondering about these what ifs. I'm, I'm often reminded of what the great inventor Thomas Edison said, the kind of mindset that he had in developing the light bulb. After a couple thousand attempts to find a material that could be used as a filament in the light bulb, one of his assistants came up to him and was complaining about it. He said, all of our work is in vain. We have learned nothing. And Edison replied very confidently to him, oh, we have come a long way. We have learned a lot. We now know that there are 2,000 elements which we cannot use to make a good light bulb. Following his invention of the light bulb, he was later famously quoted as saying, I've not failed 10,000 times. I've not failed once. I've succeeded in proving that those 10,000 ways will not work. Rather than being gripped by worry, rather than uh, letting this this kind of concern about what if I do this and it doesn't work, or what if I try this and it falls short or it fails, uh, Edison kind of modeled this, you know what, I'm going to take a step. And if it doesn't work out, I'm going to learn something from that step, and then I'm going to take another step. And then I'm going to learn something from that, and I'm going to take another step. Rather than being gripped by worry in our lives, I have to first understand that the worry is not going to solve anything. Worry is not going to add an hour to life. Many times we just have to prayerfully do something. If it works, that's great. If it doesn't, just ask that question, what can I learn from this that I can apply to the next time that a situation similar comes my way? To prayerfully do something. A second thing that we find in Jesus is teaching us to live a life without worry is the need to learn to live one day at a time. Right, in verse 34, Jesus teaches, says, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring enough worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Now, I had a mentor of mine who would often quote in his sermons, you know, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, and today is a gift. That's why we call it the present. Uh, and, and it was this kind of just the same sort of reminder. You can't go back into the past and undo the things that have taken place. So worrying about what's already happened isn't going to do anything. There's no time machine, at least that I'm aware of, that enables me to do that. There's lots of things that I wish that I could undo, but I can't. And so I can't focus my energy and my attention there. The future isn't here yet. And 
the weatherman tries to tell us what's going to happen. And oftentimes we find in Florida that they don't quite have it right. Even with all of their knowledge, even with all their experience, there's times when they don't quite get it right. The future is uncertain. It's not there. Uh, it, it doesn't help us to focus our attention there. We can't focus. Uh, we can't know for certain all the things that will happen tomorrow. Right, so focus on today. Now, when Jesus says not to worry about tomorrow, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't plan or prepare. It's not the kind of, you know, hakuna matata, no worries, just live for the moment kind of life. In fact, Jesus later on in his teachings talks about the importance of planning and preparation. In Luke 14, as Jesus is talking about the cost of being a disciple, he says, for which of you intending to build a tower does not first sit down and estimate the cost? to see whether he has enough to complete it. There's an importance in counting the cost and understanding what lies ahead of us and planning for it. Do your best to make wise decisions and having prayerfully done so, put it into God's hands. We can't plan for every possible outcome. We can't know all the details of whatever comes next. So we make a step, we make a decision, and we place it in God's hands. Rather than Jesus telling us to completely forego preparation, instead he, he does call us to focus our attention on what's in front of us, on what is today. He's teaching us to, to live what we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Right? Give us this day our daily bread. To trust that God's going to provide what I need for today. And then when I get to tomorrow, God's going to trust what I need for tomorrow. And then when I get to the next day, to trust that God's going to provide what I need for that day as well. And our planning and our preparation, trusting that God is with us, trusting that God is for us, trusting that God is good. Now, the third thing that Jesus teaches us as we strive to take that step of faith is to focus on God's faithfulness. Focus on God's faithfulness. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? God cares for you. He loves you even more than the birds of the air that he provides for that he, that he feeds. Now consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you? God cares about you. God cares about you. God loves you. One of the common refrains that we see throughout Scripture is that God loves and cares for his people and that God is faithful to his people. Last week, I gave everyone some homework. Uh, I'm I'm not going to ask for a show of hands who did their homework, right? So those of you who missed out, it's okay. No detentions for you this week. Um, but, I, I, but I gave you some homework. I wanted you to write down and put on your bathroom mirror some way that God has been good to you. Right? To write it down, post it up on your mirror, a way that God has been good to you so that every day when you go and you stand in front of the mirror, you'll see it, you can read it, and then give thanks to God for it. The homework, the purpose of it is to be reminded of what God has already done. To be reminded of the ways that God has been faithful. Because when we re remember what God has done, it enables us 
to trust God in the present and to trust God in the future for what might come. Remembering what God has done builds our faith so that we can trust that he's going to be faithful each step and each day along the way. In our new member small group, one of the activities that we do is called Remembering Your Stones. And we talk about the story in the book of Joshua where God is leading the people of Israel into the promised land. But in order to get into the promised land, they have to cross uh, through the Jordan River. They're worried about it. Well, how are we going to make it across? Well, how are we going to be able to do this? They turn to God and God gives them instructions. He says, here's what you're going to do. You have the priests take the Ark of the Covenant. And when they begin to step out into the waters, the waters will part. And you can walk across on dry land. And God tells them, as you walk across on dry land, I want you to pick up 12 stones and carry them with you to the other side. And so the the people do as God says. The the priests step out, the waters part, they walk across on dry land. They pick up the 12 stones, and then they take those stones and they they put them together in this this kind of monument, this tower. And, And they do this so they can remember that God made a way. When they didn't think there was going to be a way, God made a way. And so when they see these stones, they can look back and they, rec- they can recall the ways that God has showed up and been present in their lives. And it's not just so the people who cross the river can remember either. It's for generations to come. Right? God tells them when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? You can tell them how God parted the Jordan and made a way. In your life, what are your stones? How has God made a way for you? How has God been faithful to you? Write it down. Remember it. Give thanks to God for it. Tell somebody else about it. Let it build your faith. God has shown his love for us over and over and over if we're ever unclear or uncertain, if we're, we're ever in doubt about whether God loves and cares for us, all we have to do is look to the person of Jesus. If we remember no other examples of how God loves us and cares for us, we can remember Jesus. Right? God gave his only son, lived a perfect life, who died an agonizing death on the cross so that we could have forgiveness of our sins, so that we could have a restored relationship with God, so that we could have hope of life everlasting. God did this for us while we were still his enemies. God proves his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if you're struggling to recall God's love towards you, if you're you're struggling to to remember that God cares about you and that God is faithful to you, start, start by remembering that great gift of salvation that God has given you in Jesus. And then let that remembering, that recalling of what God has done for you in Jesus Enable you to begin focusing on all the other ways in which God has been the source of every good gift throughout your life. Let it remind you of just how much God cares for you. and Let it build your faith. So in response to worry, Jesus teaches us to to understand that worry won't change anything. uh, To learn to live one day at a time. To focus on God's faithfulness. And the fourth thing that Jesus says is to seek first the kingdom of God. Throughout the entirety of chapter 6 in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, throughout the entirety of this chapter here in Matthew, Jesus has been teaching us 
that we need to reorient the focus of our lives, that we need to, to change the things that we are looking at, the things that we are seeking. Right? Rather than looking for validation from others, he says, rather than trying to keep up appearances, he says, look to find your sense of worth and purpose and identity in God. Uh, rather than, than, than trying to store up material possessions and to find some sort of comfort in the things that we own, find our, our source of strength and comfort and our connection and our relationship with God. Focus on the things that are important to God, Jesus teaches us. You know, some of the greatest causes of worry in our lives are uh, our material possessions. It's our relations with others. So Jesus says that, if we focus on these things, yeah, the, the worries are going to abound. We're going to become consumed uh, by those things rather than us consuming them. So Jesus says, instead, focus your heart, focus your eyes, focus your life on God. Putting him and his righteousness first. And if you do, all these other things, they'll, they'll be taken care of. Uh, you'll have what you need in this life and even more in the life to come. Now, as a parent... I recognize that one of the things that I tend to worry about the most is my children. I imagine for uh, those who are grandparents, you, you worry about not only your children, but your grandchildren as well. As well. Uh, if, you, if you have great grandkids, then, you know, probably it goes on down the line, right? We want to provide all of the, the right experiences, all the right opportunities. We want to make sure that they have everything that they need. But I wonder... If Jesus' call for us to readjust our priorities, to focus on seeking first his kingdom is, is not just so that we don't worry, but it also becomes a way in which we can kind of pass along that good and that right and the things that are true along to the people in our lives, the, the people who are in our families. Uh, trusting that if I'm seeking first God's kingdom, that it's going to point my children and grandchildren, it's going to point all the people around me in, in the right direction as well. All right, see, the people who are closest to us, they see the things that truly concern us. They see beyond just our words, and they see kind of the, the actions that show what it is that we're really worried about or that we're really concerned about. If we're concerned about all of these things, or if we're concerned about the things that God calls us to be concerned about. And as they see our hearts, as they see our lives, and they begin to follow suit. It just kind of happens. If we're seeking first God's kingdom, right? If we're seeking to do what is good and what is right, what honors God, living with integrity, being truthful in our speech, caring for those who are in need, visiting those who are lonely, uh, working for justice, pursuing racial reconciliation, offering hospitality and love to others. If we're sacrificing our wants to care for others, allowing our desires to be transformed so that we desire what God desires. If we are seeking first God's kingdom— then not only are we going to let go of worry within our lives because we're, we're focused our eyes on him, but it's also going to enable us to be a light that points others towards Christ. As we take our focus off of the things on this earth that, that grow strangely dim and we, we focus our hearts and our eyes towards him, we find this sense of peace that passes all understanding because we're trusting fully in Christ. And there's something about a person who lives with peace in an anxious and worried world that draws a little bit of attention, that gives an opportunity for us to say, you know what, like, I, I don't have a peace just because I'm a peaceful person. I have a peace because 
of what God has done for me. You know, I'm, I'm not free from worry and anxiety because there's nothing that ever happens to me that doesn't cause worry or anxiety. But I have peace because I know what God's done in the past. And I know what God can do in the present. And I know what God's going to do in the future. This peace that comes from trusting in God enables us to be a witness to others. Perhaps, you know, this let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me begins by us seeking first God's kingdom, trusting that he's going to take care of all these other things, finding our peace in him, and sharing that with those around us. And so Jesus, rather than teaching us not to worry as a way of burying our heads in the sand, Jesus instead teaches us to focus our lives on something greater than ourselves. Teaches us to live in a way that truly honors him. And says that if we do this, then we can live a life that is without worry. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, we thank you uh, that you are good. We thank you that you do truly love us and that you care for us. So I pray that we might always be reminded of that. We might remember how your faithfulness has been on display in our lives in the past and that might give us the faith to trust that you are with us now and in the future. We pray that we might truly have that peace of Christ within us and that as we live trusting in you, that we might be a light that points others towards you. We pray that we might see your kingdom come, your will be done in our lives, in our church, and in our community. It's in your name and for your glory we pray. Amen.